Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Hey, good morning, everyone. You doing okay? Yeah, we've had a really cool weekend. For those who have been participating in some of our, of our environments, uh, we probably had about 30 or so in each session this weekend. Friday night, uh, Saturday mo- Friday night with youth and young adults, Saturday morning with parents, last night uh, with men here, and just, just a really good time of connecting, time of conversation, great um, inspiration and equipping from Brett in those kind of three categories. And so today, uh, Brett's going to speak to all of us, and uh, you might remember him if you're just cluing in or you just showed up today, maybe you remember him from last, not this past June, the June before we did a series on pressure points and two weeks on mental health and Brett joined us via the screen back then uh, just just leading us through um, important uh, information um, uh, inspirational message even around mental health issues and so this weekend he's kind of come back and targeted a few pockets of our church community and this morning he's going to talk specifically around media faith and culture and uh, I don't know if, if you feel this but I mean I feel that I live in a media saturated culture and uh, that's just not just like the TV of uh, 20 years ago but like media everywhere in all places at all times right at our fingertips and so I think Uh, this morning's talk is going to be really important for us. So this morning we've kind of done something different. We made it like a hybrid of a worship gathering and a workshop in a sense where we're giving uh, Brett uh, some more space uh, to speak longer than we might normally do on a Sunday morning and we've shortened our time together this way. So I'm really encouraged about that and then I'll come back after his talk. So Brett, come join us. Let's give him a hand as he comes up. Thank you for kind of pouring into our church community this weekend and friends and guests. It's been so good to have you around. Ah, thank you. It's been a good weekend. Yeah. Thanks. So if you just saw me, I was just taking more puffers. I had COVID six and a half weeks ago, and I'm still coughing. I don't know if anyone's had that experience, but when you're a full-time speaker and you cough ongoing, it's kind of a bit of a nightmare. So I'm not using a headset. I'll pull the mic away if I cough, and uh, just uh, give me some grace with that. Uh, I had a Uh, It was great having a chance to speak to you on uh, mental health, even though I didn't get a chance to see you. Uh, It is one of my favorite conversations I have, and then having a chance this weekend to speak on parenting and men and dating, and now media is actually kind of a real privilege as a speaker. Uh, If you don't know me, I come from Ajax. My background is education. I'm currently taking my master's in counseling. That's kind of a very brief, brief conversation on me. Uh, If you want to know more about any of my history or something, come back and chat with me after. I'm married with two kids. My wife's name is Dawn. She's a nurse. And my daughter Zoe's in her third year. Uh, she was at a school called Western, and now she's at a school in Hamilton, Ontario called McMaster. She wants to be a lawyer. And my uh, son Ben is in his second year at Queen's. He wants to be a psychologist. So my kids have chosen like a lifetime of schooling, which we'll be dealing with for many years. And I would just say for this morning, um, don't waste your time. And what I mean by that is sometimes as Christians, we're wonderful listeners, but we're not good learners. You know. The goal at the end of this talk will be, how could you be a little bit better? Our faith is built in moments. Our life is built in moments. And a learning conversation on things like media, and there's no way in a short period of time we're covering every aspect of media, but as we kind of glean over media and faith and culture, what could you take back into your life, into where you work, into your whatever, your small groups, your church, and your family? Now, here's the question. How do we connect our ancient faith with our modern world? 
It's been the conversation that I've been talking about the most as a speaker for 25 years, even though I taught for nine years of that full time as well. Now, every one of you in this room has a worldview. And your worldview shapes your values, and your values shape your actions. And I hope and pray that we have a biblical Christian worldview, which in turn then shapes our values and our actions as well. Now, here's an interesting question. Do we have a Christian worldview? Meaning, does what you listen to, does what you watch, what you think about, come from any, uh, you know, set of lens? We often call a worldview like a pair of glasses that you look at the world with. Does the scriptures play any role in what you think, do, act, and the list goes on? And some of these things you'll be doing well on, some of these things we need to do better on, and as parents, we always need to be encouraging and equipping and empowering our kids to be better in this. You want a verse for the morning, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. That's not clinical anxiety, by the way, that's just worry. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I always say, like, it's really easy sometimes to raise your hands in worship. What's really hard is to kind of turn them around like this and say, God, I give you everything. I give you my phone and what I, what I do. I give you everything I listen to, what I watch, all of that. And the message, it says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of, of who I am and what I'm about. And see for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me on the road to eternal life. There's a book by Ted Decker who says, uh, it's the open secret of the church that we make all kinds of incredible claims based on the Holy Scriptures but our lives are pretty much the same as the lives of the unchurched. If the creator of the universe comes and resides in your life, there should be some disruption. There should not be a different, like, sorry, there should be a radical difference between those of us in church and those of us maybe not. But what we see statistically today is there's not a lot of difference from those of us who claim Christian faith and those not. There are times I'm speaking in a single week in a church, in a Christian school, a Catholic school, a public school, in a youth group, and as I'm waiting outside having my McDonald's morning vanilla iced coffee or whatever, and I'm listening, I don't know where I'm at because of the language and the conversation and other things. So we're going to look at media briefly, we're going to look at faith as that foundation and a quick challenge on engaging the culture, and that's kind of the morning. <clears throat> if you're more my age, I'm 51, anybody remember the media talks when we grew up? Everything's bad, don't watch, don't watch movies, don't listen to music, I mean, I even, like, this is kind of the conversation. Let's begin where we can all hopefully connect. Everything is not bad with media, everything is not good with media. I think it's a fair point to kind of begin with, but I would say media is powerful, and it can affect us in many ways. And if you want to, someone once said, it doesn't really do that, I'm like, well, look how much money people pay for a Super Bowl commercial. Why? Because if Coke buys the commercial, Coke makes more money that year. If Pepsi buys it, Pepsi makes, like, there's something about advertising. And from a parenting perspective, <clears throat> the average time a child spends online a week is 917 minutes. The average time we talk to them as parents about digital safety in their entire childhood is 46 minutes. This is why equipping and empowering needs to be a conversation. So music, I'm the biggest music fan I've ever met. I have um, two eight tracks, anybody my age? <laughs> I have boxes and bins, milk crates of records at home. I then rebought them as cassettes and then rebought them as CDs and like it just, and now I have Apple Music, which basically I have what, 62 million songs that are all mine. I download album after album every week. Now, I put forth that I don't believe in Christian and secular music. Now, here's what. If you believe in Christian and secular music, what we do is we create blind, non-discerning people. Because everything Christian's not good. 
musically or lyrically, and everything secular is not bad. I'm at a talk, and after I say this, a woman is furious, like pointing at me furious. It was a smaller audience, and I said, okay, ask your question. She said, you can't tell me a single secular song that's not evil. I'm like, oh, challenge, okay. How about happy birthday? And you know in like cartoons when a head would explode and the per like it literally she didn't know what to do and ran out. If me saying happy birthday blows up your worldview, we need to evaluate our worldviews a little more. I'm at another talk and a woman says, I don't care what you say, I believe in Christian secular music. And I said, that's okay. This is not like first issues of faith, Trinity resurrection. Like this is way down that list. And I said, oh, what's your favorite TV show? She said, Brett, I love American Idol. I said, you know that every song almost on American Idol is what you would call secular, right? Again, didn't know what to say and off. Like, we need to be able to, like, iron sharpens iron is discourse. Everything I say today, I say with an open hand. <clears throat> you want to have a, some challenge later? Come, I will change anything I say. So what are you looking for in your music is what I've asked, I think, about three or 400,000 students. And every time I ask, it's the same answers. People begin with genre, and I'm like, not genre, what do you want in it? And people talk about love, but there's a difference between love and lust. By grade four, I think everyone knows this. There's a difference between, like, I love you and I want you in different ways. People talk about before they play a sport, they want to, you know, have louder music. When I study, I'm taking my master's, I do instrumental music. But the themes in popular culture today, everyone knows this. <clears throat> do we like, like, if we don't do life different, then I question what we claim to be sometimes as Christians. Do we put our music, if I was to take anyone's phone right now and put it up on the screen and scroll through your recently listened to songs, even as adults and as students, how many of us would grab our phones back and say, uh-uh, you're not touching my phone? I would encourage you to know what's in culture. Go to billboard.com, look at the top 100 list, and just Google some of the artists who are in the top 10 right now. And it's always changing, and as an adult, you'll go, who are these people? Yes, because musicians change and shift very quickly. And we live in a very confusing world. Do you know that on the Christian music charts last week, who was number one? Eminem, Kanye West, and DJ Khaled. And you're like, what? Like, th this is where we sit today because it's confusing in the world. It was a number of years ago at the uh, VMAs, the Video Music Awards, actually it was the Grammys, I think, and uh, there was a whole conversation on the hashtag MeToo movement, which was a really interesting conversation, and there was a standing ovation, and then out came Rihanna with half-naked backup dancers, and everyone's still clapping, and I'm like, that's so confusing. Because you can't, you have to talk about the objectification of women if you're gonna talk about Me Too. And then Bruno Mars came out, who was kind of invisible for a while, and he's just come back, but his song was the song of the year. It was a creepy song about, if I give you this, what will you give me? I'll give you shopping sprees in Paris, diamonds all white. Five people wrote that song, including Bruno. Not a single word out of 523 talked about dating, love, relationships, and marriage. It's confusing. It's confusing to us. It's confusing for students. So when I polled a lot of students and I asked, how do your parents speak on this? Most said not involved. <clears throat> That's why we spent a lot of time yesterday morning talking about how it's important that we have good attachment, good relationships. We say Christian, good, secular, bad, and no swearing. How about a new narrative? Asking and challenging. What are we looking for in our music? What is it talking about? Who's making it? And I believe that there's what we call praise and worship music. There's music we kind of know we should probably never listen to. And there's some really good music that sings about love and relationships and other things. Some of those artists know Jesus and some of them don't. Who's making it and just unplugging? 
they did a poll for high school students and they asked, how many of you are, like what are you listening to when you have your AirPods, whatever, on in school? 50% said nothing. Does that concern anybody? 50% of high school students. When I speak to high school students, like we need to get out of this world of <coughs> we as adults are kind of telling students what to do. Like if 50% of high school students say they're listening to nothing, you as a student should start saying, hmm, there's a concern with this, social isolation, not wanting to have conversations with people. Sometimes I say separate the message from the noise. Just because something sounds good doesn't mean it's good for you. We're called not to be blind, thoughtless listeners. And how about TV and movies? And TV and movies used to be two things. By the way, it's not Taylor Swift, looks like her. But it used to be two things. There was television, then there was movies, and then out came like Disney Plus, and you're like, what is Loki? What, like when they release 10 episodes, I mean, like what is it? And it's kind of all the same thing now. The average TV is on, a home, on in a home between 7 and 11 hours a day. It is adults who leave the, the TV on all day. It is not students. Why? Because students don't watch television. It's us. Students do streaming, but they're not like us just putting the TV on. If I asked you what you're looking for in a TV show, no one's ever raised their hands and said, Brett, I just love looking in old, dirty storage lockers. But we watch Storage Wars. It's still on the air. We watch people argue and make alliances. Big Brother, Amazing Race, Survivor. We watch people building and breaking stuff, cooking, dancing, working. We watch people date. Side note, most dysfunctional way of dating in the world is The Bachelor and Bachelorette. <laughs> Solving Murders, which is almost all the other shows. Marvel, DC, action, comedy. I would encourage us, though, not to watch mental illness voyeurism, where we're watching people who struggle with mental illness for fun or entertainment. My 600-pound life. Do you know how many people who are not with us anymore from the 600-pound life? Like, these are people who are desperately struggling. If you're watching and praying and intervening on behalf of people, another story. If you're watching it as, what, entertainment or fun, extreme cheapskates, extreme couponing, intervention, the list goes on. How do you take back control of what you watch? There's lots of websites like Plugged In and other ones, and you can, like, again, you can engage in this conversation. But the old narrative was this, no swearing, no nudity, Christian only. How about a new one? Asking each other, and parents asking students, and students asking each other, what did you agree or disagree with after a movie? What might you have changed if you wrote it? Doom scrolling is a lot of adults. How many of you just ongoing are looking at news and chaos on an ongoing basis? Binge watching? I would put forth, there's never a single moment you could tell me you binged watch something on a weekend, and I would say, good for you. You watched 11 episodes of a TV show on a Saturday? What did you give up for that? Exercise, community, devotion, like you name it, all the things that you have to give up. And loneliness used to be something more with men my age. We're now saying statistically it's 52% of all students from junior high through college university. <clears throat> I think we as the church play a great role in community and how we connect with each other from that. And the internet, don't you love that photo? <laughs> Is this not when students start today, right? It's become, I love this quote, I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots. I'm not calling anyone an idiot. But anyone believe this is true? I, uh, next weekend, will be at uh, Pearson Airport, which is now ranked the worst airport in the world. Um, Side note, I'm flying to Fort McMurray to speak, and every time I travel, I watch because no one talks anymore. If anyone flies for a living, no one speaks. 
We sit at the gate with headphones on. My last flight to Calgary, everyone had headphones on, including the 90-year-old lady beside me who was wearing gorgeous Beats headphones as she bobbed her head to music. And I'm like, I've never been so proud of someone. It was just awesome to watch, but I never had a chance to speak to her because she never took them off. Side note, it's not Albert Einstein. We all know everything we read on the internet's not true, right? Students, most of TikTok is fake and done by someone who has, not authority, but someone who has influence, and they're different. Influence comes from life experience, from education, from other things. Authority, sorry, authority comes from that. Influence comes from, I don't really know. Were you in the right place or the right time? But we are so connected yet so disconnected with each other. Statistics say the more social media in our life, the greater problems we have. And social media is not about the app. It's not. It's about what we do with these apps and how we get engaged with them. Uh, we need to not only as adults live out positive, good digital citizenship and as students live that out. How you act online and offline should be the same. Our Christian witness is heavily affected. I'm at my gym uh, where I work out, and a guy said to me one day, we're having a conversation, he said, I don't think I'll ever go to church the rest of my life. And I'm like, you know, those are fighting words. Like, wh why, why do you say that to me? He says, because of the way you and your Christians acted throughout COVID online. And I just felt sad. I'm like, please don't put Jesus into that. And we had to have a long, and we've still ongoing long conversations Students, it must be peculiar for children of the internet generation. You, you're the first generation ever to have a complete record of your whole life. They're the first who'll be able to offer concrete proof of every one of their days, their friends, and their actions. Social media often is more about attention than connection. And John Acuff, the author, says to thank God every day as an adult when you wake up that you did not have social media when you were back in high school. Old narrative. <coughs> Adults say, are you on Snapchat again? It's stupid. Adults, please stop this. This is othering and, and not listening to other people. And by the way, Snapchat's the number one like messaging app that students use. Could someone do bad things with it? Sure, you can also do bad things with email and photos. Like it's not the app, it's what you do with it. The number of students in the hundreds who told me their parents tell them to grow up. I love to garden. Anybody a gardener? I always find this time of year, like, you know, gardening's finished. Uh, I can't wait for the spring. And in the spring, I will get plants from the nursery near me, and I will plant them. And then I get down on both knees, and I scream at my plants to grow. Like, that's not what happens, right? I spend months tilling the soil, watering, miracle grow, and everything. It's how we actually equip our students and each other to get better. The new narrative, anxiety and depression has increased. Now, anxiety and depression has increased for many ways. Parents who were here yesterday morning, we talked about how overfunctioning we are as parents. The more we overfunction, the more our kids underfunction. Big issue today. But anxiety and depression has grown a lot. Uh, 2012 was the year that the world seemed to change. We don't know why. But we know 2012 was when counseling began to skyrocket for students in college university, which is the marker we see of how our, is a generation doing. And students, I just ask this when I speak often, like, are you okay? Because your social media says you're great, but when I speak to you one-on-one, -on -one, you seem to be in crisis. Like, you are in a mental health crisis, so many of you struggling. The fear of missing out, feeling less than. I'm at a university, I asked, it was a thousand women in the audience. I said, how many of you feel less than after being on Instagram? All these hands went up. I'm like, let's try a different way. Who doesn't feel less than? No hands. Statistically, we know this. Stopping the infinite scroll, isolation, loneliness, and students understand you are not in this alone. 
Every adult with a phone in this room is struggling with the same things that you are. The difference is you've just grown up with it. For us, it's something we didn't have and now we do have and we're trying to figure it out as well. I have a nine-part video series on how to have a better relationship with your phones. I'm a big fan of an author named James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits, which is just, how do we be better? Now, I like using his material for how do I read my Bible more and pray more and do different things, but also, how can you touch your phone less? Because you touch it 2,900 times a day. But could you touch it 5% less this week? Sure you can. 5% is a joke. Could you read your Bible 5% more this week? Like, see, these are small incremental ways we can begin to grow our faith in other things. I don't understand why, but we seem to have lost in our world, and especially in our church world, any internal critical reflection. The idea of, should this go into my life or not? An author named Paul Washer says, we can't add a few silly little Christian cliches onto a secular life and that result in true discipleship in Jesus. Now, I have another talk on media, which is, uh, it's not, it's more of a practical conversation. But this morning, like, I just add this kind of quote in from it. Like, students, 50% of grade 12 say they're addicted to technology and they're concerned about it. So, this should not be parents telling students to get off their phones. It should be people looking at each other and saying, is your technology use getting you to a place where you want to be? Because if you're on social media four hours a day, mental health issues, loneliness, like, life balance, like, all these things are not well. Addictions. Bullying, lack of social skills, which is becoming more and more for guys. Sexting is no difference within the church world and in the regular society. How do we not do life different in these conversations? Unhealthy lifestyle loneliness, and a lot of people, I, like it's kind of like non-practicing Catholic. I just use non-practicing Christian. We may be Christian on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half, but we live our life every other waking moment of the week like someone who doesn't know Jesus and he's not the king and lord of our life in every aspect of what we do and say. Our goal should be purpose in life, compassion, empathy, resilience, work ethic. I always say for parents, your students should have five adults speaking truth into their life. Students, you need five people beyond your parents speaking truth into your life. Pastors, leaders, aunts, uncles, cousins, teachers, coaches, the list goes on. Healthy body, mind, and soul, a strong Christian sexual ethic, and a vibrant, strong Christian faith. Why the disconnect? I don't know. Is it a lordship issue? Lordship is like if everything is like rooms in a house and you have certain rooms blocked off. Like, <clears throat> God, I'm going to give you this aspect of my life, but, you know, the music I listen to, it's mine. I'm going to give you this aspect of my life, but my addictions to pornography and others, that's mine. Maybe it's just we're Canadian. It's just like, eh. Like, eh, we'll never get you to be holy. We are commanded to be holy commanded to, and uh, it's never going to get you there. A lukewarm gospel of Jesus. We think the bar is here, and it's really up here. Maybe we're functional atheists. We claim Christianity, but live like an atheist. Maybe we're experts in culture, but novices in faith. You could tell me everything about what's going on in mainstream culture, but you don't know why Sarah laughed. We don't know basic Bible stories, and maybe our worldview is just not Christian. And I add in a number seven, maybe we're functionally, biblically illiterate. We claim scripture, but we don't read it on an ongoing basis. 
So media comes to faith, and this is where we look at the idea, and this is part of our, like there's a practical conversation on social media, like things like drop an hour a day of social media, you'll have great kind of response from it, connection for loneliness, but there's a faith conversation as well. Whether it's identity, your worldview shaping everything. Pascal once said the greatest enemy of the spiritual life was inattention and complacency. Here's an easy question. Are you actively pursuing Jesus? The answer that flowed into your head was yes or no. How much time this week did you spend watching television, playing video games, watching movies, hanging out, scrolling through TikTok mindlessly? How much time this week did you spend doing anything spiritual? Reading, praying, fasting, studying, giving, volunteering, the list goes on. And almost across the board, at Barna, if you know Barna, they do research on Christians. They say that we put more media into our life in one day than we do doing anything spiritual for the entire week. But we then question why there may be a disconnect between what we say and what we do. A spiritual discipline is just a good habit that allows you to remain open to God and develop yourself spiritually. I coached rep baseball. Some of you played rep sports or gymnastics or things. It's a lot of work. I coach. People get trained. It's the same with our faith. It's not just like we meet Jesus and we're done. We meet Jesus. We, then we begin sanctification and working through all these conversations. I'm going to walk through very quickly some spiritual disciplines. There are entire books you can get on each of these. All I'm doing is kind of just saying, hey, are any of these things that you could say, this is what I need to make some changes in? Maybe it's prayer for you. Are you only praying when you're in need or when you want something or when you didn't study for an exam or when you want that person to notice you? Like, God's not like this dispensary where you pull a lever and out comes whatever you want. John Piper once said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook, make it uh, Snapchat and Twitter, be real, whatever else, will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. We have lots of time. The question is just how do we use it? So how do you practically pray? And I say this gracefully, but I don't care. What works for you? Some people, uh, you know, read scripture and pray. Some people, like me, I love to walk in nature and pray. I live right on Lake Ontario. I go for prayer walks, prayer runs, prayer bike rides. Some of you, prayer meetings. You come together, love corporate communal prayer. Some of you journal and pray. If you have a vibrant, passionate prayer life, keep doing it. If you don't, Definition of insanity, you've heard this a million times, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Try something different. Lady says to me once, like what? Tell me something that might work. And I'm like, how about you do a prayer walk around your community? Pray for your neighbors. She says, why would I yell at my neighbor's houses? And I'm like, I didn't say that. Walk around your community just praying for the different people around you. You're not like praying for them at their houses as they're in it and you're the weird person on the sidewalk. Study. Practice the pursuit of the presence of Jesus. You become a Christian, you're told to read this book every day, but how? Statistics really scare me. Some statistics are as high as up to 90% of Christians don't open the Bible from Sunday to Sunday. Now, all statistics are wrong. Because statistics are a snapshot of a time and a place in the world that doesn't exist anymore. So, if one stat is 80 and one's 90, you know what they're not saying? Ten. Kierkegaard once said, we pretend to be unable to understand the Bible because we know the minute we understand, we are obliged to obey. Hmm. So one thing I've begun doing is uh, using an app called Read Scripture. Anybody use Read Scripture? Quick show of hands. 
Well, a couple. Good. I love this app. By the way, free, done by the Bible Project. Here's what I love about this app. A lot of you will read certain books of the Bible. Like, when was the last time you read 2 Kings, Jeremiah, Exodus, and you're like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Like, you're reading your five chapters or whatever you do per day, but you're not, it's not changing you. You're not understanding it. So you're reading text and then just moving on. What I love is it actually, this looks like a huge kind of comic, but they actually, you know, when they draw it by hand, and this is a 10-minute video explaining what the book of Jeremiah is, then you begin reading, and you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. Fasting. Fasting is giving up something for something bigger than you. One of my friends gave up golf a couple summers ago. He just said, golf's become an idol in my life, and I want to think on things bigger than that. I'm like, wow, what a great thing. Have you ever been humbled by people who don't know Jesus, though? I was invited to speak at a public school on mental health. Love it. I arrived at lunchtime. I'm like, I guess they're all eating in the cafeteria, auditorium, whatever. And the guy said, oh, no, we're fasting today. And I, I said, excuse me? And he goes, well, not your type of fasting as Christians. And I'm like, what type? And it was just this awkward conversation. I said, tell me what you guys are doing. He said, a few years ago, the grade 12s wanted to leave a legacy project. So they looked at what's happening around the world, and food insecurity is one of the biggest things, not only around the world, but also in our cities. So every single student in the 1,000-person school said, we're going to give up what we would pay for lunch. Five bucks was poutine and a pop or whatever it was. 1,000 students every Friday gives five bucks. They build a well or give food somewhere around the world every single week as they fast. And I'm like, I got teary, and I'm like, and these people don't know Jesus. They're doing the work of Jesus. Sabbath, have one. Have a day of faith and family and friends. Now, for some of us, we work on Sabbath. Like, this is a work day. <clears throat> I won't get home tonight till 6 or 7 o'clock. And so for, for me, if I'm speaking, my Sabbath has to be another day of the week, which now gets hard. I can do the faith content, but I can't do the, the family or friends often. But it's a day to pull back, and you want to pull back and have Sabbath before it's too late, before you had, like I did, and many of you might, a burnout or a breakdown. And solitude and silence, if there's ever a spiritual discipline that I don't like, it's this. Being quiet and being alone means turning off music and sports and everything, and I'm left with me, my struggles, my shame, my guilt, my sin and everything. It's a horrible place to be. It is such an important place to be. So what works for you? How to be quiet and be alone. I love in Isaiah, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I love in 1 Kings 19, God doesn't come in the fire or the earthquake or the wind, and the wind shatters rocks, by the way, never seen that. But God comes in the still, small voice, a gentle whisper, says another translation, but my favorite translation, God comes in the sheer silence. Maybe you can't hear God, though, because we haven't taken our AirPods out or turned our TV off or not been alone in an environment where we can actually listen. And money. Ever watch Property Brothers? I always love when someone's like, you deserve granite countertops. And I yell at the TV like, no, you don't. Like, they're nice. You don't deserve granite countertops. We live in such an interesting world where we have entertainment budgets here. I spent three weeks in Africa working in a place called the Mathari Valley outside of Nairobi, where a quarter of a million people live without even running water. I was building like washrooms for World Vision and places where they can feed people. And our biggest issue is, do I get the new iPhone 14? Like, where do we go on vacations? What do we do? I'm not saying all those things are bad. I'm just saying we need to look at what we do with our money. 
what you do with your, like your treasure, your heart will be. The place where your treasure is is where you will most want to be and end up being. Tim Keller says, your money flows most effortlessly towards your heart's greatest love. <laughs> so what's your heart's greatest love? The average Christian gives 2% of their income to the church, which is much lower than our phone bills. Just our phone bills. Service to others. I love this. You know, I love when I travel through, whether it's Christian schools, Catholic schools, or even public, where there's service things that we do. We're involved. Two weeks from now, I'll be with my wife. Uh, we volunteer and do a dinner once a month for homeless teenagers in our, just outside of where I live. Musical worship. <coughs> is this kind of how we are for musical worship? Or is musical worship uh, not kind of this image of uh, worship? Let's go up one slide. Or is it just taking time? I'll just keep talking. Oh, you don't have it? Oh, interesting. Um, so I will explain what's on the slide. Uh, there's a slide with people, like it's lights and lasers and hands raised. And the next slide is five people who look so bored out of their skull. And the reality is this, like don't worship the worship. Don't forget the reasons we worship God and the debates on how we worship God. It's time we stop getting caught up on and hung up on the outward expressions of musical worship and realize that worship is every aspect of your life. What you do on every day with your, what you listen to, think about, all that conversation. Many years ago, I was at one of the last concerts the band Starfield ever did, and they were singing with 14 or 15,000 people out in Alberta, O oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we come, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. But I wasn't watching the band, I was watching the students, with their hands in their pockets, many on their phones, staring at the sky as they sang about allegiance and alliance to Jesus, singing all that I am and we barely give anything. A.W. Tozer says a quote that has changed how I do praise and worship time because he says, Christians don't tell lies, they just go to church and sing them. I cannot anymore participate in praise and worship like we did this morning without this coming into my head. And my encouragement would be the next time you're in an environment like this, maybe don't sing, read. They're powerful lyrics that we're singing. It's not choral Christmas songs. We're singing powerful songs of praise and worship. If you believe them, sing them, pray them, but don't just say the words. Isaiah 29, 13, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And the last few are simple. Community, don't serve Christ in isolation. Communion, take it. It's an easy one. Most... Uh, it's funny, I, I, I grew up Fellowship Baptist. We would have, like, the plates were always passed to us. And I went to a different church in my adulthood, and we did this thing called Come Forward Communion. You'd come forward and, you know, rip off a loaf and dip into a goblet. It was really different. And I told that at a talk, and someone said to me, how could you say something so unbiblical? I said, which part? And they said, <coughs> you know, communion. And I said, what do you think communion is? And he said, you know, when Jesus passed the wafers and the grape juice. I said, have you ever read the Bible? Like, it was a meal. I told that kind of as a joke. I met with a bunch of youth pastors. Uh, we're at like a burger joint for lunch. And the guy says, let's have communion now. And I'm like, excuse me? And we did. My bun and someone else's Coke Zero. Most moving communion I've ever had in my entire life in a restaurant. And teaching, get some. We need to be learning every Sunday but we also need to be learning for the other six days of the week. If I was your personal trainer and you said, 
I work out once a week for 60 minutes, I would say that's not enough. There's podcasts and so many other things that we can be doing. And, you know, there are podcasts for students, for adults, so many different things that you can find. Your worldview shapes everything. And Dallas says, from the contents of our heart, we see our world and interpret reality. Your worldview matters. I would encourage you to think of your worldview. Do you have a biblical worldview? How could that be changed? And lastly is culture. We've looked at media. We've analyzed a bit of kind of worldview. But how do you analyze the culture around you? Now, I'm 15 years of age, and in comes a guy to speak on media to my church. And he puts up Philippians. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are. And I'm like, oh, I get that. And he says, true, like a true song. And I'm like, what on earth is a true song? And he's like, noble, like a noble video game, to which I audibly said, like Robin Hood? Because Robin Hood is the only time I've ever heard the word noble in my life. And he looked confused and went on, and I tuned out, and that was the rest of the night. we got to learn how to connect something like this. I heard a pastor once preach it like this. What is the worldview of anything? And then you have three choices. Do you say yes? Do you receive it? Do you say no? Do you reject it? Or do you modify it? Engaging in culture is a verb. A verb is an action word if we've been out of language class for a while. Now, this is how I put movies and music and stuff into my life. But then the question is, is the Bible talks about things like salt and light. How do we engage the culture for us? How do you as Westside Gathering engage all around wherever you work, play, and live? Now, the Bible talks about salt. I'm at a high school, and someone says, you mean like French fries salt? And I'm like, sort of, because French fries salt seasons. And yes, we're to, be, we're to season the world around us. But if you look in biblical times, there are salt mines outside of Jerusalem. Salt was currency. But the one kind of alg- uh, allegory I like is that it's about salt going into meat. In biblical times, you didn't go to a grocery store, get a steak, and bring it home, vacuum seal it, and put it in your freezer. It would start to rot immediately in the 100-degree weather. And so you would put salt on it, and it has to be pushed into it to season and to kind of uh, preserve it. And then light, light is light and darkness. To me, it's the idea of how do we sometimes break, like we come in, yesterday we talked about attachment parenting, where we come in and our students get this home base and go out. I find churches like that. We come in and do this, and then tomorrow we all go back. School, college, university, elementary, secondary school, we're teachers, we're nurses, we're whatever, all the way around. Sky Jathani is someone who I do a morning devotional uh, just through his Twitter feed, but he says this, there's a couple ways that we often engage the world. We either... He calls us fear evangelicals, which is funny. He says we either flee or we attack. We attack the culture or we flee from it. But how do we engage it? And often we don't engage it. We just make a Christian alternative. And this slide is a mix of amusing and sad all in one. Like, don't use Facebook, use Faithbook. It's the same color scheme. Don't use Netflix, use Pureflix. You know where Pureflix puts its best movies? Netflix. Case for Christ, ever watch it? Phenomenal movie. YouTube, someone made GodTube. YouTube is the number one uh, website in the world, that and mixed with TikTok right now, if you can believe it. (coughs) But like, if you take all the Jesus content and put it in GodTube, how will people ever see some of the content? Top right, Twitter, someone actually made Christian Chirp. Can you see it? It's a bird with a halo on top. Someone actually said like, honey, You know, Twitter's evil. 
I'm actually at a talk, and as I said this, uh, people laughed a bit, and a woman stands up and says, Twitter's evil. There's always, like, first off, I struggle with anxiety, so, like, that kind of triggers me a little bit with anxiety, but anyone yelling at you does that, and I'm like, I don't know why I speak quick, and I said, ma'am, if Twitter's evil, you probably might have some evil in your heart, and when I looked, it's the pastor's wife, and I'm like, oh, I'm dead. This is the end of me ever speaking here. I took a big breath, and I said, I stand by what I say. She says, Twitter's evil. I said, what does Twitter do? She said, I don't know. I don't have it. I said, ma'am, if everyone in the entire room today signs up for Twitter, guess what Twitter does today? Nothing. It does nothing. You either tweet things where you're writing stuff, whether it's what you should or evil, or you are following people who put things that might be evil, and you choose whether you follow that or not. Pinterest becomes God interest. It's recipes and furniture and makeup. And then when I speak at large music festivals, uh, you know, Subway becomes his way, Coca-Cola becomes enjoy Jesus Christ. There's actually only one word for this. It's called theft. Like literally, it's theft. And at top, uh, this is Elf on a Shelf, and the one beside it is Shepherd on a Search. Now, there's a Jewish version called Mensch on a Bench, which I find even more amusing. <laughs> now, there's Monopoly and there's Bibleopoly. By the way, I don't think that everything that is a Christian version is bad. My kids attend Christian camp. There's a camp called Minioi a few hours north of us, and my kids have worked there. It's been such an influential place for them. Some people send their kids to Christian schools. Some don't. Another conversation. But <clears throat> there's environments that are Christian. We want to come and learn about Jesus. One of my favorite board games is Settlers of Catan. Anyone play Settlers? Great game. Anyone play Settlers of Canaan? <laughs> Google it when you go home. It's literally the same game, but a Christian version. So here's my response to this. Where in our church world are the artists? Where are the designers? Where are the thinkers? Where are the builders? Where are the musicians? Stop copying culture and go and make culture. This is de-evangelism, not evangelism. John Stott says, this is the oldest quote I've ever used. I'm going to translate. We, because we are Christian salt. If you know Jesus, you are Christian salt. You have no business to remain on the shelf. One can hardly blame the world around us. Unsalted meat for going bad. It can't do anything else. The real question to ask is, where are you? Where are you? He's comparing the world to rotting meat and saying, you are the answer. You are the salt. It's your responsibility. So this is something we say to all ages, but I love saying it to young adults and high schoolers. Who are you? Are you a musician? <clears throat> we need musicians who, like this morning, come up and lead us in worship. We also need musicians, uh, like people, like one of my favorite musicians, a guy named Matt Carney. If you go into Costco, you will hear him play. He sings about love and relationships and marriage, and he's a strong Christian. But you're like, Brett, I'm not a musician. Great. Are you in athletics? Give me Steph Curry's on every basketball team in the NBA. Living his faith out in front of people. A number of years ago, long time ago, I had a chance. I was flying to Edmonton, and beside me is Mike Fisher, who at that time was playing for the Ottawa Senators and then retired from the Nashville Predators. Talked the whole flight about living his faith out on the ice and in the change room amongst the world of non-Christian people. You're like, but Brett, I'm not an athlete. Are you someone who does well in language? Go to McGill, Dalhousie, Ryerson, go get a journalism degree and then go and write movies or music or television shows and engage the culture there. You're like, but Brett, I'm not a writer. <clears throat> Great, who are you? Are you a nurse? My wife is. 
Are you a teacher? I was in education. I'm a bit of a different teacher now. Going to go work in a factory? Going to go work in the tar sands of Alberta? Going to go fish in Newfoundland? Like, we need people. When I drive home today, I have a four and a half, five hour drive. Every business, every building, every church, every mall, every place needs Christians who will leave environments like this tomorrow and go and take the love of Christ from here to there and engage those worlds. And this is a hard thing to try to figure out who we are. Bushner says, your calling is found where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I just always say, what are your natural talents and abilities woven together with your spiritual gifts that make you, you? And this isn't easy. These are hard things to try to figure out where you can go and engage the culture and world around you. But I would say, start wherever you are right now. As we begin to close, uh, I promote a lot of books. And if you go to my Amazon page, you can find every book for every talk that I've done this weekend and more all off a single Amazon place. And can I encourage you to be readers? I've had numerous talks with people this weekend. Statistics say between 60, and I think it was 62% or 67% of all North Americans read zero books a year. First off, you should be reading the scriptures at least once a year. I like to do the New Testament twice, Old Testament once. That's just that. And I don't mean like that, you know what I mean? Like, that's just how I do my devotionals. Then I read books, and if you read five pages a day, you will read four to five books a year. I would encourage you to stop watching so much television, especially as we as adults. It's like we sit down, we watch multiple hours, stop the TV at 9 or 9.30 and go up and read. Books for your faith, for relationships, whatever, engaging parenting, whatever it might be. My website's just my name. I have some cards on my booth. I am not a blogger. I'm a curator, also probably more a collector, meaning there's 1,300 blogs on this if you go by category, but they're often just, here's an amazing resource for you. Here's a TED Talk. Here's a great sermon someone wrote. Here's a great book. I have a YouTube channel with uh, 130 videos and online courses on things. And the one resource that I've really been uh, excited to bring out, I brought it up during COVID, was a three-year project to bring a singular resource to parents and to students. It's six times bigger than any book I've ever written. Seven chapters are on parenting itself, but nine chapters beyond that are for everybody. Students can read them, adults can read them, mental health, all of these conversations, engaging the culture. And if you're an audiobook, it's coming out soon. I just finished reading it. I actually read it like with a sheet over my head in my office. It was hot and a long time, but I'm glad it's done. And I have two books on mental health. My book, Reset, and if you're here for the mental health conversation, is a free ebook on my website. Just uh, search that. Two slides and we're done. What do we do now? I'm up at a camp called Muskoka Woods, a couple hours north of where I live, and on the plasma screen TV, it says this, a leader is someone who looks at the world and says it doesn't have to be this way. And the little line below it says, and does something about it. So how can you begin to do something about it? How do you look at engaging the world, not only from an internal standpoint, looking at what you listen to, what you watch, what you do, dealing with your faith and growing that, you know, spiritual Christian worldview, and then how do we engage the world and culture around us? And I would say, as I've said for all my talks, I speak quickly. There's a lot of content. Have you ever been to, like, a dollar store, and you get those cheap kind of sticky plastic things, and you throw them against the wall, and some of them fall down, some of them climb down? That's kind of like a talk like today and all weekend. There's a whole bunch of stuff I said, but the question is, what, is, what touches you in the moment of your life right now that you need? For some of the students Friday night, we talked about dating. 
How could you date better? How could you work at finding the person who's the person you need to be with? Kind of that person. I always like the term, like finding your person. Yesterday morning, we talked about parenting and how we need to create this great attachment with our kids and walk through time and communication and discipline is about teaching. Last night, we challenged men. And if you weren't here, if you go to my website and just search on it, like men's flywheel, I have this like eight kind of circle with eight pies of all the areas we need to look at being better at. By the way, women, it's the exact same talk actually for you. And then this morning, looking at media and faith and culture, John Maxwell, and I close off almost all my talks with this because I just love this idea. He says, when you are challenged by anyone, what is one thing that you can take away? And then he says, and you only have three days to do something about it. So tonight, today's Sunday, by Wednesday, what is one thing you could take, not just from today, from any of the talks I've done all weekend if you were here, what is one thing you can move forward with in this conversation? But it has to be done within three days. If you want to chat after, I will be out there. By the way, I answer all my own email. So if you ever have a question or want to send something through, I reply to all of that. But I just leave you with this. Media, discern your media. Faith, dive into your faith and work on having that biblical Christian worldview and find a way that you can then go and engage that culture for Christ. Thank you so much for having me out and I'll chat with anyone after. Hope you have a great weekend. Bye-bye. I was hoping you'd stay seated. I would feel taller than Brett for one moment, but I lost the opportunity. I'm going to sit. I love sitting, but we're going we're gonna to end in this way. Um, I want to just take a moment as we wrap up today to pray uh, for two things. One, I think discernment. You know, we've heard this today throughout this talk specifically around discernment and not disengaging or escaping the world or living in a bubble but discerning what we engage with and so and i think that's the heart of what we're praying for today um and then i want to pray for equipping that that each of us would leave um in committed to allowing the lord and the work of the spirit but also our church community to equip one another for the kind of life we're called to uh, live uh, and not just be here on sundays but to live on mondays right and so those are the two things I want to pray for. I'm so grateful for, for Brett and um, just his posture, his desire, his love to see people grow, make next steps. And we noticed it in, in all our environments this weekend. And yes, every environment was a fire hose. If you're like, this was a lot of information. Every environment this weekend was a lot of information. And, and, but, but I love how he just kind of leaves us with, hey, like, what's the one or two things, uh, you know, God's kind of prompting on your heart, pointing, you know, tapping on your shoulder about, um, and then the resources are there to make next steps. And that's one of the challenges in our world. There's so much information around us. Um, and that's why we pray for discernment as well. You know, there's, you could take 10 things from today, but what's the one or two things the Lord's really leaning on? Because that's probably the thing that will influence the other things a little bit more as well, right? So don't go crazy worrying about seven or eight things. What's the one or two things? Because usually that one or two things opens up and influences the rest, right? So I want to pray for that. So let, let's take a moment, and I want to pray in a specific way. We did this last night with the guys, and, and uh, I felt that it was really um, instrumental, at least it was for me. 
there's one or two people beside you and um, you know you can turn and look and see who they are and, and hopefully maybe you know their name and if you don't that's okay yeah yeah a few people are doing that that's awesome <laughs> um, and because because what I want to do is I don't want to just pray for you or with you I want you to pray for the person beside you so we just talked about discernment and equipping so I want us to leave today prayed for by the person beside us. Now, if you're here for the first time, if you're not a person of faith, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you, like, just give positive vibes to the person beside you. I, I don't, yeah, it's a strange line, eh? But uh, <laughs> what does it even do? I mean, I don't know what happens. But so don't worry about that. You know what? You, you just, just you, you came today. If you're here for the first time, you came to a church. You know that we probably pray and uh, we learn from the scriptures and we worship Jesus. So just maybe take this moment and know that somebody is praying for you. And uh, don't worry about not praying for someone else if you're not comfortable doing that. And I'm, I'm not asking you to pray out loud, by the way. I'm just asking you to think about the person beside you and be prayerful as I pray. And we're going to pray, pray together. And if you are here for the first time, I hope that there was just a seed, a seed of hope um, in the way of Jesus that came through Brett's talk. Um, it came, you know, in and around in a lot of ways that the way of Christ is, is wonderful and good and hopeful and we often here at Westside talk about the good news of the gospel, but also the goodness of the gospel. And so I pray that you got a seed of both of those things today in some way, shape, or form, and that, that will slowly kind of um, grow in you as, uh, as you make some steps. And we'd love to help you make some, some steps in that way. So let's, let's pray. And um, think about the person beside you. And don't, don't be too frantic about who or what or the both people beside me. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will cover those who aren't officially prayed for. <laughs> God loves you. God's for you. He sent His Spirit to equip you, to give us discernment. He calls us to be His living and local presence in our world as salt and light. So we're present in our world and our jobs in healthcare and education and business and manufacturing and homes and neighborhoods. So just as I begin to pray, think about that person beside you and pray with me for them. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you love the person beside me. Thank you that you long for your good news and goodness to invade our hearts and our lives and overflow into our neighborhoods and workplaces. Thank you that the one right near me is made in your image. And you have sent your son Jesus to show us the fullness of that image bearing reality in humanity. Thank you for that, God. And thank you that even though the person I'm praying for, like me, is broken or has been broken, that the work of Jesus in the cross brings transformation and healing and hope. We see glimpses of it today, and we wait for its fullness in the future. And right now, God, I pray for my friend or brother or sister I pray for discernment. I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to grow in them 
so that they can discern as they step into the world today and this week, as they engage and interact, God, with literature and media and business and work and family and technology, God. Lord, would you increase their discernment and lead them, God, whether that discernment necessitates them, like just implies that they must examine themselves or maybe they must eradicate <laughs> something in their lives that is plaguing them and distracting them. But I just pray for this growth of discernment empowered by your spirit. And God, I pray um, for this person beside me, Lord, that you would empower them by your Holy Spirit and equip them to be your living and local presence. God, they live in a neighborhood. They interact and work in a network. They're involved in an industry. They're leading a family. They're learning at a school. God, would you equip them to be your living and local presence in those pockets of our society so we can alert people to the wonderful news of the gospel of your kingdom because there is a longing in the humanity around us that we interact with for goodness and good news. May we be used by you, God, to be present in those places and in those spaces. And we pray for this in Christ's name. And we welcome the work of your spirit in our hearts. And may we, because we know our brokenness and our humanity, may we in the next three days um, really take advantage of how you have prompted us today. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.